Welcome back to Corner Kick. It has been, as always, a busy week of soccer, as I say in the first 10 seconds of every episode. But I have Nathan Strauss, uh, joined by a man uh, who did not play a hilariously bad no-look pass today in the Champions League. It's Caleb Rhodes. No, but the way Barcelona played today, it's as if Emerson Royale is still very much there. So (laughs) there's that, I suppose. That is true. Although I actually think that you would make a, a much better wing back in the Conte system than Emerson Royale does. But uh, it's a Champions League match week. There were also well, some. If only I had a million dollars to spend on making to make yourself a better, better player. player then perhaps your ROI would definitely be a lot better than his. I'll tell you I, that. I think so. I think I have more room <laughs> to grow. Um. <laughs> they could. They would spend. You would spend all all million of those dollars on fixing your running form. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, it was a busy weekend with some shock results uh, in the Premier League and some chaos, I think, in the Champions League. Let's start in the Champions League because as we get down to the business end, the last two matches in the group stage, a lot of the times the groups have gone fairly, it's, it's all fairly academic. And so these last two games are more or less dead rubbers. And that's effectively what you have in Group A where... We already know that Liverpool and Napoli are going through. It would just take a a big Liverpool win at Napoli uh, to determine first or second. Um, In Group C, it was pretty much all but determined before today that Bayern and Inter would go through, sending Barca to the Europa League, much to the dismay of the Barcelona fans who apparently brigaded Victoria uh, Plasenia players with DMs asking them to beat Inter as if that wasn't going to be their intent to begin with, but well, it didn't help. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it surely, it surely didn't help. But elsewhere, there are groups that are still in the balance going into the final match day, which is a real rarity. And I figure we may as well start. We mentioned Spurs earlier. So let's start with, I guess, the most underwhelming group uh, in terms of quality on the pitch, but probably the most anticipated matchups going into the final match week next week. And that is group D, which has Spurs on eight points, Sporting on seven points, Frankfurt on seven points, and Marseille on six points. If Marseille beat Spurs on this last match week, they would go through. Spurs are guaranteed either of a Europa League place or a Champions League place, but with the two teams on seven points playing each other, it could get really, really dicey uh, in this coming week. And today, Spurs were held to a draw uh, with Sporting, while Frankfurt scored their first home goal in the Champions League since 1964, which is crazy. Um, and their but, second since 2022. Well, um. and, and their second one as well, while we're at it. But what a weird, what a weird group. Super, so much parody, and you never see that really. Yeah, I mean, I think we we looked at this group and thought that it was not, you know, it, it wasn't one of these groups where there's some, you know, random Eastern European club that just gets beaten down. I think it was just a bunch of average teams and then Spurs. I think Spurs have struggled a bit more um, in this group than perhaps we anticipated. And I think today they were, you know, a little unfortunate after 
conceding first, but then coming back through Bentoncourt in the 80th minute, they thought they had stolen a winner in the 95th minute through um, Harry Kane. But perhaps after that, you know, Manchester City game so many years ago, the luck finally had to go the other way. And it was ruled out. Antonio Conte was promptly sent off um, sort of after an emotional outburst a few minutes later. And I I think what we've seen across a lot of the games today is (laughs) incredibly small margins. Um, But I I think Spurs will, will likely go through. I think they would have definitely like to have sewn this up today though considering um their their recent struggles in in the premier league yeah i mean (laughs) it's funny because we talked at the beginning of the champions league about how they implemented this new semi-automatic vr with like 3d imaging and all this stuff and it was supposed to make these decisions instantaneously and then of course it went on for three minutes while apparently felix brick the referee didn't even know or sorry danny mccalele the the dutch referee didn't even know which player was offside in this move. So Spurs probably a little hard done by, but also if they didn't give up a goal to former Spurs Academy product, Marcus Edwards, they wouldn't have been in that place in the first place. So good subplot next week because Marseille are like Marseille are to Arsenal, what Everton were to Barcelona in that there's, I think three or four ex Arsenal players in their starting lineup, including Sad Kalasinac, Nuno Tavares, Mateo Guendouzi and Alexis Sanchez. So a chance for those uh, ex-gunners to maybe prove a, a little point there. And this, yeah, this group feels very much like like if you could pick any two ties and it would be like the kind of thing you would expect in like a Europa League semifinal or quarterfinal. So yeah. like shout out to UEFA for this group because in a sense, it's actually more appealing than a group uh, like Group C, which we can move on to where there's one team that's the whipping boys and then three teams fighting for two spots. Right. And I think, you know, in Group D, at least, I think Marseille have probably underperformed a little bit. I actually think they're probably safely better than both, you know, Sporting and and Frankfurt. But, and, and, you know, they're fifth in Ligue 1, which isn't terrible. Um, They actually have quite a good defense there as well. So a, a surprisingly competitive group, if not perhaps, you know, containing any marquee fixtures. Yes, but a group that did contain marquee <laughs> fixtures um, <laughs> was Group C. And Barcelona, after last week's loss, um, everyone sort of knew that, or after last week's draw, rather, knew that they would need not just to win out against Bayern and Plasenia, but that they would also need other results to go their way, including shock results from Victoria over uh, Inter. And that did not happen today with a very comfortable 4-0 win. Lukaku scored uh, in his first minutes back from injury. So his first minutes in the last two months, really. Easy goal for him. But that game was not as potentially important as Barca-Bayern, which has been you know, probably the, night, the worst fixture for Barcelona in the last seven or eight years. Uh, I guess since, the, since that Champions League semifinal a couple of years, uh, not a couple of years ago, our sophomore year of high school, so 2015. Um, but today went very much according to the script that we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, when Eric Maxim Chupamoting is getting amongst the goals, Caleb, as you said, um, you know things aren't going your way. And just the quality of Bayern showed today. And 
yeah, I mean, the, the four midfielder formation for Barca was a little bit suspect at times, but like all in all, this game was over once, once Bayern got that first goal. Yeah, and I think my, my point about Chuba Mating in the chat was not that him scoring necessarily is, is so indicative of the state of things, but the fact that he scored, you know, in the 30th minute and not, you know, like the 93rd after coming on as a 79th minute sub, I think says a lot about, you know, the challenge Barcelona were putting up. I mean, I still maintain, and I feel like a bit of a broken record because each game, each big game that Barcelona have failed in, this season, which is to say every big game. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're over four, season. so far right. you're over three. Um, you know, I, I do think it would be so different, so, so different if we actually had, you know, Araujo at center back. Today, we saw Marcos Alonso there. I don't really understand why Eric Garcia isn't starting at center back, to be honest. Um, I thought he had an excellent start to the season, and I'm not sure he's had too many errors to, to sort of understand why he's been dropped so far, even PK, a natural center back, surely has to be better than Marcos Alonso, who has the sort of terrible combination of being old, slow, and out of position. Um, I thought Hector Bellerin had a pretty terrible game today as well. Admittedly, he probably shouldn't have been anywhere close to the starting 11 in this game, but unfortunately, Sergio Roberto, um, continuing his injury troubles, got a dislocated shoulder at the weekend and is out for a month after you know, rounding into some pretty solid form. I don't know why we tried the four midfielder formation again. I guess it worked against Bill Bow, um, but we have so many wing talent that, you know, I think we might as well have tried it out. And once again, it was just Barcelona playing a crazy high line um, that Bayern just have the pace and ability to, you know, pass through. And I think for the first goal, it was Mane beating for Bellerin, beating Bellerin for pace. And, you know, maybe seven years ago, Bellerin could have covered it in a very kind of Alfonso Davies-like way. However, after, you know, basically three new knees, um, we know Bellerin's not really the same player that he once was. I thought Dem this was also a great game where we saw, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde nature of Dembele's play, where he would like dribble but then he'd like over dribble or he'd pass to no one at the end of the play. And really it comes down to the fact that Bayern are an utterly ruthless team in a very similar way to sort of Real Madrid and Barcelona are not ruthless at all. We pass pretty well. Um, again, I don't think we had like a terrible, terrible showing in terms of our ability to sort of play against a team like Bayern, but we just never take our chances Um at all. And it's getting pretty frustrating. Um, Rafinha, again, came on late, didn't really do very much. Um, Ferran Torres and Fatih and Dembele, I think, have definitely moved above him in the pecking order. And I think it put, it's a bit of a weird situation now where, you know, supposedly our marquee signing um, from the summer um, isn't really a difference maker at all when we need him to sort of make the difference most. Yeah, it's a little bit weird because I think we we might have made this analogy earlier on in the summer, or at least after the summer, but Barca basically got into this game of chicken or this bidding war, and they were just so determined to win it that they probably ended up overspending on players, and that ends up making the transfers poor value. So um, I, I wouldn't say Kunde is one of those, um, but I would definitely say that was the case for Rafinha, who you know, could have gone for Chelsea. It was rumored to go to Chelsea for like 45 million. And then Barcelona ended up 
jacking that price up and then paying up themselves. So all in all, you know, the Europa League is probably a better fit for this current team, especially with um, the injuries that they've had. But, uh, you know, it's a competition that Barca should look to win because I would imagine that as of now, Barcelona will be the favorites probably with Arsenal upon, yeah. upon dropping in. But so. it's, it's, it's a very similar situation to last year, though, in some ways where, you know, oh, Barcelona are in the Europa League. And I think we had a bit of a target on our back. And I think it's, it's you know, doubly so this year. And I think Xavi, after the game today, said, you know, I fully admit that this sort of outcome from this group stage is completely unacceptable. Um, and that's because unlike last year, you know, I really think we had a competitive squad and, you know, a squad he said could win the Champions League. And I think that's probably a step too far. But if you look <laughs> at this team, you know, we certainly should be in the knockout rounds. And this is probably a quarterfinal quality team, at least on paper. It, I think it's hard yeah, to no, prognosticate and- slightly beyond the quarterfinals, but like, this is not a team like last year that's really struggling for ideas um, or sort of attacking play. And I think that makes our inability to, to sort of uh, achieve, you know, that much more painful. Yeah. And part of it is also luck or unluck of the draw, because if you swap Barcelona with any of the other Spanish teams, like in Group B, for example, where we'll go next with Bruja, Porto, Atleti, and Leverkusen, you have to think that Barcelona take 12 points from that group, ideally, or 11 points from that group, and at least go through, even if they have an off day against Leverkusen or something, or even if they swapped, uh, even if they swapped into Group D with, with taking the place of either Frankfurt, Marseille, Spurs, or Sporting. I forget which one was in their pot. So, yeah, no, all in I mean, all, all in all, like it's a bit, it's yeah. a little bit of, of misfortune, but at the same time probably should have advanced but at the same time same time you kind of have to take things at face value and and move on so um, i mean what happened what happened but uh you know as you mentioned we can go to group b this has been a a pretty poor showing um for you know most la liga teams in the champions league save real madrid at letty officially um not even technically in the europa league yet um, but officially out of the champions league they are currently in third in their group after a two-two uh, <laughs> draw with with Leverkusen today. They had the opportunity to to win it at the you know after death. Honestly, um, they received the opportunity to take a 99th minute penalty that uh, Yannick Carrasco missed. It hit the bar. Someone shot it. Carrasco got in the way. Um, it was a lot. Um, it was a lot. And yeah, making us eat our words about Lucas Roditsky all those years ago. You um, know, actually, yeah, fun yes. fact about Lucas Roditsky, I actually saw him play for Bayern in the summer. Sorry, not for Bayern, for Bronby in the summer okay. of 2013 in Denmark. But anyways. So, well, I mean, I mean, yes and no. They still conceded twice in the day and, and Leverkusen have had a terrible defense this year. Whatever. Um, you know, it's starting to get to the point, I, I truly think, where it's like, are they just going to limp through the season um, at Letty and then let Simeone go in the summer? Like, this this squad is a bit Frankenstein-esque. There's no especially, you know, young youth talent, save for, you know, Jao Felix, who Simeone has seemed to kind of cast um, to, to the shadows. Uh, I, I don't know, but this is this is a bad result uh, for both teams. Club uh, Bruges 
you know, lost to Porto 4-0 and are still top of the table and what is bit a bit of a regression to the mean. But what's going on? What's going on with Atleti, you know, from your perspective, Nathan? I mean, they made a marquee transfer a couple of years ago and spent way above the odds to get Joao Felix, who wasn't even necessarily like on the radar for being like one of the top, top wonder kids. Because like, imagine if they went out and got Rafael Leao instead of Joao Felix. And then this team is probably second in La Liga or third in La Liga. Um, but yeah, I mean, Simeone, it's pretty remarkable. His tenure at, at Letty, it's probably, I have to think it's the longest of any manager in the top five leagues at this point, right? Because he's been there since 2010. I think so, surely, surely. It's so rare to see a manager last that long. And obviously he is, you know, a, a club legend, you know, former captain. Um, he won them La Liga. He has done so much for this club. And he's also the highest paid manager in the world. So eventually I wouldn't be surprised if they cut bait, but I kind of feel like it would have to be mutual. Like I doubt that they would end up, I doubt they would sack him. But they are such a tough watch. And oh, yeah. And there have been some tough tough Atleti watches over the years. Yeah, there there really have been. And in the past, when Atleti would have sort of more dynamic teams, like the teams that got to the Champions League final, for example, there was just more dynamism. And Angel Correa has been a sort of late bloomer in terms of his career. He went from failed wonder kid to serviceable La Liga player to quite good La Liga player. But Yannick Ferrer-Carrasco is now 29 years old. Like, I remember when he broke out with Monaco when they knocked Arsenal out of the Champions League. That's the last time Arsenal were in the Champions League. This team has just gotten old, and that's demonstrated by the fact that they're starting Murata and Griezmann as their strike partnership. So that's a strike partnership that's over 30 years old. Correa is 27, Witzel's 34 or 33. Like, unfortunately, Jose Maria Jimenez, who started for them beginning as an 18-year-old, he's now 27 as well. So... This team just needs a complete overhaul, and it just makes sense for that to be done by someone who's not Cholo Simeone. But if he were to become a free agent manager, I'm sure there would be 18 billion clubs that uh, are lining up for his signature. But um, yeah, and shout out to uh, shout out to Porto goalie Diogo Costa, who saved two penalties today, although he only gets credit for one because they made Noah Lang retake it. But He's now saved four penalties this Champions League group stage, which is absurd. Uh, and shout out to Bruges, who it took four games and a bit to concede their first goal. He's the new uh, Diego Alves. Yes. Where is Diego Alves these days? Is he retired? I, he's probably retired. Probably retired, right? But he was, you know, he was spectacular for, for Valencia in, in goal. And, you know, his he was, special <laughs> skill set was he saved something like over like, half yeah, of the penalties. Yeah, he saved like 56% of the penalties that he faced, which, which is like... Which is like four hundred percent more than the average. Well, it's right, seventy-eight percent chance of scoring. That, that's what I'm saying. So, like, that's 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 skill. That's yeah. like that's wow. Yeah. Uh, no. And <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, we can we probably don't need to move on, talk about any of the other matches from today because Group A is sort of blah. Like, shout yeah, out I think I think we can jump jump to yesterday, which I think. Um, <laughs> As has been par for the course this year, I feel like yeah. this uh, these groups have been perhaps a little less exciting, um, but I think there were still some you know important matches worth talking about yesterday. Um, group E, we probably don't need to spend a ton of time on Chelsea beating Salzburg, Milan finally getting their group going in a lot of ways, um, and beating down on Zagreb 4-0. Group F, though, had, you know, 
a little bit of of flavor to it. Uh, Shakhtar and Celtic drew. Um, so Shakhtar have, you know, confirmed their place in at least the Europa League. But RB Leipzig beat Real Madrid 3-2 um, with a Timo Werner 81st minute goal, ultimately being the winner. Rodrigo scored a penalty in the 93rd minute, something he seems um, very comfortable <laughs> doing recently. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, is this a simple case of Madrid knowing that they're going to go through? I mean, they, they were already safe, I think, before this game. Although now they, they could, in theory, finish second. Yeah, I um, mean, they went strikerless, which I think is a good indication. And they started right. Rudiger at left back with, with Nacho and Militao. So, I mean, they, they had a lightly rotated squad. and you know, Captain Nacho was... to you. Yes, uh, what a great Nacho Fernandez is to Real Madrid what Diego Simeone is to Atleti, but like obviously very different magnitudes. But um, so not really the same. Okay, okay. But... well, the onus was definitely <laughs> on Leipzig uh, because they've had a, a really topsy turvy season that obviously resulted in a managerial change as well. And you know Leipzig have Shakhtar next week, and now all they need is a draw from that to go through. And I think they'll probably be like the the nightmare matchup if they do finish in that second spot for for many teams because Christopher and Kunku is still just unreal. He's such a good finisher and he's so lethal. He actually reminds me a little bit of how Aubameyang used to look at Dortmund in that you wouldn't always notice him on the ball, but he'll just appear in the box and score. Uh but he's also obviously super technical. I actually this was the game that I watched because it was um you know, again, a slightly lighter match day. But yeah, Leipzig looked pretty good. Uh, the the big knock on them is that Peter Gulacci tore his, his ACL a couple of Champions League match days ago. So they've got their backup goalie, Giannis Blaswich, who I only know from being a, a prominent player in the Eredivisie with Heracles. So they're a little weak in areas and they're also very strong in areas. Jasko Vardiol is, is really, really good, as is most Simicons. So yeah, that that's Group F for you. Uh I would imagine Madrid will play a fairly strong side against Celtic because I think they probably want to go through on top and don't want to risk Leipzig. Yeah, they, they want to build a good 2-3-0 lead by halftime and then they can kind of you know, yeah. ease the game away. Um, in Group G, Sevilla... This group um, sucks. This group is terrible. This yeah, Surprisingly <laughs> terrible. It could have been a fun group. It turned out to be a fairly boring um, group. Uh, Sevilla now under the management of Sampioli, um, beat uh, Copenhagen, not all Isco that. Scored so, a bang, Isco scored a banger, a Isco, vintage Isco goal. An Isco, vis, ah, <laughs> a vintage Isco goal, um, which got him the Man of the Match award. Copenhagen have not scored in the Champions League group stage, and I don't really blame them, although... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Although Sevilla, Sevilla's defense is, is pretty uh, plush um, at times this year. And they could still, you know, nick a Europa League spot. Potentially Manchester City drew Dortmund in the Holland Derby um, that really did not live up to its name. And I think Dortmund and City will both be kind of happy with that result. I don't know if we really do. Do you have commentary here, or should we just move on to the to the next? No, as I said, this group is terrible because City have now drawn nil nil twice uh, in the last two match weeks, and it's just boring. It's just boring, and 
City and Dortmund are so much better than Sevilla and Copenhagen, which I don't think we expected to be the case necessarily for Sevilla at least. But yeah, I mean, it is what it is. City are going to, the real test for City will come like in the quarterfinals or semis as, as always. But <laughs> the only group, the only group that has really prompted us to, to get going on this day is group H. Uh, and we'll start with the less entertaining of the two games. And that was... Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe combining for five goals and four assists, I believe, between the three of them in a 7-2 drubbing of, uh, of, of Josh Cohen and uh, Maccabee Haifa. Whereas Haifa, I think, sprung some surprises early on in this, in this group. PSG are just so good. And it, it would, they were, Messi was really toying with his food this game. Yeah, I mean his his outside of the foot <laughs> shot goal was so casual but so sick at the same time. Uh, Messi also with you know his two goals and two assists in this fixture is the first player in Europe to pass double digits in goals and assists this year. He's only played sixteen games. He's been involved in twenty three goals in those games, which is almost his total for the entirety of his debut season for. PSG um you know I I don't think there's a lot to talk about this game because PSG are the wealthiest club in the world thereabouts with you know the best front line in the world um I think fairly clearly and and Maccabee Haifa have honestly done more damage than I expected in this group and so even with this drubbing I think we should definitely you know give give some respect to this team um yeah, but and the this other group game. has been well. Yeah, this this group has been well well confirmed um with PSG and Benfica going through. But the... <laughs> I feel like we just have to laugh at them for a minute. I know, um, I know. because yeah, it's just a... um Juventus see, this is the only thing that makes me feel better about about Barcelona. Barca yeah. yeah I mean Juventus have just gotten the absolute shit kicked out of them by everyone in this group uh including by Benfica who at one point were up 4-1 in this game it finished 4-3 uh after a two-minute brace uh for Juve in the last 15 minutes of the game but this Juventus team just got absolutely dismantled by Enzo Fernandez and company uh he has looked really, really good this year, but I, clearly the big story from this is that Juve now have the same record in this group as Maccabi Haifa and aren't even assured of a place in the Europa League as it stands. And despite this form, both domestic and in Serie A, they still are sticking by Allegri for whatever reason. And this game was just, it was awesome because every time Benfica scored, I was like, yes, pile it on. Like, Juventus deserve it. And in the same way that, like, Everton last year deserved to get crushed in a lot of games, Juve just deserved. They just got played off the park. It wasn't even close. And it wasn't until the three-goal cushion where they finally showed any sort of soul or life. So, I don't know. The old lady is uh, is is approaching death right now, I would say. Yeah, this this was an incredibly poor showing, and I think the scoreline honestly flatters them slightly because, as you mentioned, they were down 4-1 at one point, and the game was, I think, fairly safely put 
to bed, you know, despite the quick flurry of Milic and McKenny goals in the 77th, 79th minute. But Juve, you know, continue to not really seem to have any plan um, at all. And I think, you know, the big miss for them remains Di Maria right now. But honestly, that's kind of it for the most part, other than um, Bremer, obviously their their new center back um, signing. But I'm not sure, you know, a 34-year-old Di Maria necessarily makes the difference here. And I'm not sure really what the the plan is in general. Um, you know, they're probably still safely through to the Europa League. Um, I know they're tied on points um, with uh, Haifa right now, and I know that they play PSG in the last game in the group stage. Um, both PSG or Benfica could win the group, um, and so both will be trying to win in their game. But they still have, you know, a six better goal difference than Haifa, and and assuming Benfica also score, you know, a goal or two or three there, um, even you know, basically a seven nil loss to PSG as well um, would would still likely see them feature in the Europa League. But I think it is an important contrast between like this versus Barcelona. And I think this is significantly more worrying than anything that's happening um, in Catalonia right now. Yeah, especially because it's not there is no easy fix. It's not as if Juve are missing like too many key parts uh, with injury. They're just they're just also bad. Like, I don't even think if you insert Pogba into this team over, I don't know, Rabio, that it makes them that much better. They're just old and slow and they have, they just haven't really recovered from, I think Ronaldo might've actually killed this team. I'm not even, I'm not even joking because he became the focal point at a time when Juve probably needed to invest in someone like a little bit younger Mm-hmm. And instead, they just committed to they committed to Ronaldo, which has been a recurring failing trend the last four years or so. Um, but yeah, this team isn't getting any younger. Benucci's thirty five, um, you know, Quadrado's thirty four. Rabio is like a flare up waiting to happen. Pogba spends half the season injured. Di Maria's thirty four, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, you sort of get what you pay for almost. Uh, I still would have liked to see Carlo Pinsolio in goal, but uh, it's, it's it's maybe tough. that's the key. That's the one thing they haven't tried yet. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough sledding for them. And frankly, like if you believe in soccer karma, like they certainly had this coming to them after everything that happened in the 21st century for Juventus up to this point. So uh, tough bid on that front. And it means that the onus is on them as they take on PSG next week to get a result. I mean, the dream situation is PSG beat Juve and Maccabi Haifa draw with like a supremely rotated Benfica and then Haifa go to the Europa League and, and Juve are out of Europe altogether. But yeah, uh, see, I digress. I, that, that's kind of what I hope for. But out of, you know, respect for the situation my club is going through, I, I don't want to... <laughs> I. I I, I don't want to, you know. You, you Ill, say but... that, and then you're gonna draw Juventus in like the round of 16 in the Europa League and lose when Arsenal have drawn someone crappy like Bodo Glimt or something. Well, well, we know that UEFA hate Barcelona. They do. This has been well. Now they hate Barcelona. They didn't used to hate Barcelona, but they do now. No, they 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 do now. Um, like uniquely. Yes. Like it's well, very targeted. Um, also interesting that five of the 12 Super League clubs now are out of the Champions League. 
which is there obviously isn't a correlation there. It's just interesting optics. Um, is there anything yeah. else that we want to touch on from Europe? Uh, from no, no. I think we should probably should we do our you know classic league whip around. Um, yeah, talk, let's start. Not... Let's start with the Prem because sure. there was a couple of of fantastic results, uh, yep. including Newcastle beating Spurs in the Sunday matinee or the Sunday marquee fixture. I actually watched this game. Miguel Almiron has now scored in uh, five. He's now scored five goals this month uh, in his five Premier League games, and uh, while one of them was a bit, one of Newcastle's goals rather was a bit fortuitous as Lloris just misplayed a ball um, crashing into. Uh, Callum Wilson outside the box Spurs again just look lifeless and are now just two points ahead of Newcastle who are into the top four as things stand yeah I mean Newcastle have been very much going about their business um, recently and Almiron has been a big part of that this is now his you know uh, his, fifth, third, his third or fourth season in the his Prem? fifth season in the Premier League is it really God well, damn, well time flies. his fifth season with Newcastle, with Newcastle and fourth in the Prem. Yes, because I yeah. think they were in the championship, they were in the championship when one he, of when those he... years. Um, but no, wait, no, this is his fifth Premier League season. What am I talking about? Newcastle haven't been relegated in that time. They've been close. They haven't been relegated, though. So he, he's never scored more than four goals in a season before. Um, last season, he only scored once. I think he would probably have been one of the candidates in my mind for kind of being replaced in this Newcastle system. Um, but this season, six goals in 12 appearances, basically every goal, a banger. Um, he's basically <laughs> Paraguayan Valverde. Is what no, I've he decided. really, he really, I mean, I, I wouldn't go that far, but he's, um, well, he's, he's Paraguayan Valverde. So there's already a kind of discounting there. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, uh, who, who is the best Paraguayan player who you can name of all time? I'm just curious. Um, oh God, there was that Benfica player, um, like a decade ago. Uh Fabian Balbuena. Oh, oh shit. Uh Roque Santa Cruz. He was a good La Liga player for a really long he time. He was. He actually was. He played for Manchester City briefly. He was one Did of really? their early. He was one of their early signings. I think they signed him from Blackburn Rovers. Um, and then he was like, okay. And then he, he ended up kind of wandering. Oh, around. oh, oh, um, um, Tony Sanabria. Tony Sanabria. Now I'm and, not sure. I'm not sure I'd put him on best. He's definitely a Paraguayan player I can name. I'm just, um, no, trust me right now. I'm just naming Paraguayan what, what random, <laughs> what random Italian team is Tony Sanabria now? Uh, he's probably on like he Fiorentina at, or something. Or yeah. Torino, no, no, probably something or like, worse. Yeah. Torino. yeah Torino or Sassuolo. No, he's definitely or not Salernitana if things have gone really poorly. No. Oh, speaking of Salernitana, shout out to Frank Ribery oh, yes. who retired last week yes. uh, after a, an awesome career that extended far longer than it had to. So, and in um, a very low-key way. Like yeah, well, his, there, was a three year, there was a three-year period where he was a top three player on the planet, I'd yes. say. Um, um, not top one, though. Not top one. No. Top uh, as famously, not top one. Wait, um, now, where is Anthony Sanabria? I'm um, going to look it up right now. Um, he was, at, was he at Sevilla at one time? Probably. He, he probably uh, Antonio Sanabria. Antonio Sanabria. Shit, he's only 26 years old? Yeah, he's on Torino. Uh, Torino, okay, good shout. Good okay, shot. he was he was he went from Barca to Sassuolo to Roma to Gijon to Roma again to Betis to Genoa <laughs> to Betis to Torino. So, um, 
Yes, I think it's safe to say that Miguel Almiron is, is the Paraguayan Valverde. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes Sanabria the Paraguayan Neymar. <laughs> okay. Um, anyways. Yeah, shout out Newcastle. Shout out, shout out Newcastle, yes. Um, in other, you know, I think big results from this past weekend worth at least mentioning. Um, there was the no manager bounce of Aston Villa over Brentford. It has now been confirmed that Unai Emery is leaving Villarreal and will take over there. Um, Fulham beat Leeds. Um, Leeds are now in a pretty dire spot, um, I would say. And I think, unfortunately, Jesse Marsh is you know close to the hot seat. Um, Everton had a morale-raising 3-0 victory over Crystal Palace. But I think the shock result of the weekend was Nottingham Forest won. Bottom of the table, Nottingham Forest <laughs> won. Um, trying to get their season started um, and probably are better than eighth place, Liverpool, zero. Klopp was at a loss for words um, after this one. I am, you know, also a bit at a loss. Um, Liverpool won in the Champions League this week. What, what explains their just strange inability to string together results in the Premier League? Uh, well, first of all, it's sort of like death taxes in Liverpool losing a game or two to the last place team in the league. I feel like this happens every year. The only year that this didn't happen for Liverpool was when Norwich were bottom of the table because Suarez would just score like 18 goals in the two games. Uh, but I honestly just think that Liverpool are a mediocre team uh, in the league this year and mediocre by their standards. So like they'll still probably end up in the European places, but they remind me a little bit of United in the immediate post Fergie years or uh, Chelsea in the third year under Mourinho, where like, you know, the quality is there and you know, the system is there. The players just don't really execute it. And the big, the big area for me that has stood out to them this year is that so many of Liverpool's best games highlighted Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. And now we've seen a bit of a decline or at least a plateau for Trent Alexander-Arnold. And Andy Robertson has slowed down incredibly, I think. And not 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 literally slowed down, just in terms of, you know, I think there was a case that he was probably the best left back in the world when Trent was also the best right back in the world and Virgil was the best center back in the world. So... That's that's been one area. And then the other area is just the lack of a, a true world-class midfielder right now because Fabinho has regressed as well. Um, and then the other other area is I think Mane might have been more important to this team than we realized. So yeah. even even with Firmino's renaissance this year, uh, you know, Salah has had to do so much heavy lifting. And obviously I understand why Sané left and I understand why they tied Salah down. But... At the end of the day, this was a situation that could have been seen a couple of years in advance when the spending stopped because of how good Liverpool's team was. And unlike Man City, who have done an incredible job of signing players like Julian Alvarez um, or even their just massive loan army of players who end up potentially contributing, it just hasn't continued. So, I mean, look, maybe I'm being too harsh on Liverpool for calling them mediocre, but Mediocre teams drop points to bad teams. Liverpool now have drawn with Everton, uh, lost to Arsenal, who I don't think are a bad team, but and lost to Forest and haven't really looked convincing against other teams like West Ham or Brighton. And obviously they did beat City. So 
there's just so much fluctuation this year and that's not what we've been seeing from them the last four or five years yes no i think that the squad's definitely in a bit of of turmoil and, and turnover in case you were wondering um i did find the benfica paraguayan player i was thinking of oscar cardozo Oscar Cardozo. That sounds like a name of someone who plays for Boca Juniors right now. He plays for Libertad in, in the Paraguay. In Paraguay, yeah, they're a good. They're a good team. They're the. I think they're the biggest team in Paraguay. Um, actually, he is 39 years old now. But from 2007 to 2014, he played for Benfica, and in 2009-2010 season, he had 38 goals. Um, and he scored 172 goals in almost 300 appearances. For yeah, there's uh, there are some sneaky good teams, at least from an academy perspective in Paraguay. Uh, Libertad, Cerro Porteño, and Nacional are, I think, the big. Yeah, ones. he played for Nacional Asuncion. Yeah, not to Newell's. be confused with Nacional de Montevideo, which is like the third biggest team in Uruguay. So, anyways, right? Obviously, no. We're, yeah. we're 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 playing a big game of remember some guys. Right yes, now. So, so guy, well, guys. Do this guys talking about guys. No, guys, guys, guys. Naming guys. Yeah, which is frankly like, and you know, like I work as a broadcaster, and a lot of the time when I'm just like <laughs> hanging, when I'm hanging out with other broadcasters, we'll just be like, "Hey, how many members of the 2009 Red Sox team do you think you can name?" And then someone will pull up like baseball reference or whatever. So it really is one of life's true pleasures. Or like if you've had a few beers and you just start naming like random NBA role players from like 2012, like, yeah, like what is Hito Turkoglu up to these days? Or <laughs> where's Jonas Jeremko? The last, you know, <laughs> Premier League game um, just worth glancing upon is, you know, Chelsea won, Manchester United won. In a game where both try. both sides left it late, I mean, neither side did very much until then. Jorginho um, scoring a trademark penalty in the 87th minute before Casemiro took full flight um, towards a speculative ball from Luke Shaw, headed it in in the 94th minute um, to you know take a point uh, from Stamford Bridge. Yeah, I mean. This game also was terrible, uh, and <laughs> but it was terrible in a way that you could see coming. Uh, in that Chelsea's weakness is scoring goals, while City's strength is letting them in. So, I, I did think it was interesting that Graham Potter made a tactical sub in the first half when he hooked off uh, Mark Kukurea for Kovacic because United were bossing the midfield. I did think. Ten Hag got the lineup right playing Ericsson and Casemiro to go possession in this game. Uh, and I think United will probably be much more pleased with how this game went than Chelsea did. But at the same time, um, it was not a clean game by by any margins. And United, are, United and Chelsea right now are both a little one-dimensional in the way they set up. And I think that's going to change for both of these teams. But it was not <laughs> the most appealing watch. And they are now even uh, in the standings. Oh no, sorry, Chelsea are now one point up in the standings. But uh, yeah, this game was this game was fine. Uh, it was it, it's hard. But I think I called this a, a, one of the the hurricane games, or I forget the analogy that I used. But uh, like, I, I want both teams to lose. So a one-one draw mm. with both teams letting it slip, courtesy of a penalty, and then a late winner is like as good a result as I'll get from this. Um, Fair but, enough. What league should we should we turn to? Caleb, next? I have a league that we should turn to next, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that is the Bundesliga. Oh my where, god! <laughs> where, as much as we have said that Bundesliga watch is on or off well, uh, or on, are you saying well, it's on? It I'm is saying, on this weekend. Well, it's on this weekend, but 
Union Berlin just oh, God. absolutely sold and lost 2-1 to Bochum, uh, which is only their second win of the year. Bochum have a goal difference of minus 17, and they picked up a 2-1 win. <laughs> like, the Bundesliga is weird because it's not like... It's what not was like, the XG for this game, though? I'm just curious. Uh, 1.08 to 1.03, but they got uh, outshot. So, and the possession was even. So, yeah, this was just like a weird little regression or, or, or weird little like underperformance that... I think probably will end up hurting Union in the long run, but they now find themselves just one point clear of Bayern. Oh God! Obviously, fifteen times the team that they are. So yes, and Union play Munich Gladbach this weekend. Bayern play Mainz, but right, we're dangerously close to Bundesliga watch being off. So Nick's gonna have to come up with some kind of like sad trumpet sound um, for, for that. Uh you know, it was probably about time. Um, in all honesty, right? I, I think so. I mean, yeah. uh, I, look, they're just, look, I mean, they're a fun, they're a fun, quirky team that I think has captured our heart a little bit like Atalanta did Yes, uh, a couple of years Except ago. Except they're way worse quality. than Atalanta. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Atalanta had, yeah. But um, so also that, that's, just like, that's, that's also Urs, I think I've said this before, but Urs Fisher looks exactly like my dentist and it's like super, super eerie whenever I see him in the touchline. Because I'm about to get reprimanded for like not flossing enough. So, uh, but uh, elsewhere, so that, yeah, no, 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 please, please. Uh, elsewhere, things kind of went according to chalk in La Liga this weekend. Yeah, with with a big win for Barcelona, who started this game so so well. In fact, it was great because there was another thing that I had to do at the time of this game, and I had it on. And by the 30 minute mark, I was able to turn it off because I felt so confident that Barcelona were going to win. Yes, and, and in a game that you know made me feel good heading into the Bayern game, but I will never feel that again. I, I feel like this happens every time. I get my hopes up just a bit, and then they're dashed. But in this game, at least Dembélé had you know a goal and three assists, and was definitely at his best. And in the future, I'll just hope he perhaps saves some of his magic for games that matter a little bit more. This was you know a matchup against Ernesto Valverde's Bill Bow. Um, Speaking of, you know, former Barcelona managers, um, Villarreal, obviously post Unai Emery, are looking for a manager. And their man is Kike Setien, who has been, you know, I think by choice without a job since he left Barcelona prior to Komen coming in. His first game will be against Ernesto Valverde's Athletic Bilbao in the sort of, uh, I guess, previously Blaugrana Derby. Um, The other big game, I think, or other big result really in La Liga this weekend was Atleti getting a 2-1 win over Betis. Um, That was important because uh, Betis have been really good this year. But with that win, Atleti um, are slightly more comfortably in third. And then a quick shout out to our favorite uh, team with some of the best kits in Europe. It is Rayo Vallecano, who beat Cadiz 5-1 uh, they had 28 shots with 11 on target to Cadiz's three. So do not underestimate um, Raya Vallecano or do so at your peril. Dude, I've been um, saying that Izzy Palahon is nice with it. He's so bald and so good. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> moving, moving on from uh, La Liga, I think not a ton happened in, in Syria this weekend either. He went to no, win. Milan had a big win. Inter had an entertaining win over Fiorentina. Napoli got a consequential win over Roma 
after. Did you see when uh, Mourinho and Spalletti were on that like Italian news yes, show together? Yes, which is hilarious because, dude, honestly, every single league should be doing this. It's it, it's hilarious. Like, can you imagine what it would be like if in the Prem they just had like Conte and Tuchel, R.I.P. Conte and Tuchel on a show chatting shit to each other? It's fantastic. Yes. So there was a lot of kind of, I think, really appropriate banter um, prior to to this game with Mourinho (laughs) joking that it was about time that Napoli, you know, suffered suffered a loss um, in the league. Um, It was, though, the Romans who who took the L here and, and they remain in fifth place, only, you know, two points, three points off. Um, a Champions League place, and then in Ligue 1, Ligue 1 was uh, great this weekend, by the way. There, there were some, there were some good games. Probably the the most interesting of the mix was Lille four, Monaco three, um, which was the game, game, one of the games that I had to do actually for my other job. So I, I got a, a good chance perfect. to watch it um, in a game that reminded me that Remy Cavella plays um, in in France again. He obviously wasn't he one of the players who came to sort of prominence um in the Montpellier team that won Ligue 1 with Giroud. Yes, with with Giroud and uh Younes Belanda who won I think like Ligue 1 young player of the year and obviously yes. Hugo also Lloris. went to Turkey, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, so more I, guys naming guys, you know. Yeah, no, I well that is basically all of sports. It's just That's this one true. giant web of names. Um but yeah, he played really well. Someone is going to end up signing Jonathan David and someone's going to end up signing Jonathan Bamba, and both will end up being really good transfers. Also, they turned Angel Gomes from like an attacking midfielder to a DM, and he's sick. He's so technical. He's a former United youth product. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Ligun still still chaotic. I think outside of PSG because Lon won again. They beat Marseille. So. It's a fun league. Honestly, it's a fun league. It's very chaotic. I'm, I'm just noticing that the midfield two for Lille is yes. <laughs> a, a Gomez and a Gomes. Yes, um, which made it very tricky when those two names were right next to each other on my like data entry screen. Uh, do uh, they and, both have Gomez on the back of the shirt? Yes, and one of oh, them is gosh. number 20 and one of them is 28. So you really can't get that much closer. The only nice thing is that... Uh, Andre Gomes was where has like a bit of a fro, like a bit of a Mediterranean fro right now. So that was very helpful. Good for him. I like that for him. And he's just like way slower and also <laughs> a different race than Angel Gomes. So there were some, there were some factors that were nice. Uh, also MLS playoffs. We don't have to talk about them, but we are getting close to a final and a, a really interesting matchup with LAFC and Austin. I think two of the better teams that the MLS has seen in a while. Um, and the final coming up in a couple of weeks. So Shout out MLS for once. Uh, anything else that we want to touch on before we bid adieu? No, I think that's that's been pretty pretty comprehensive, and in, in, as you said, another entertaining week. <laughs> It's a beautiful um, day it, in the neighborhood. It's Caleb. a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Uh, do you want to give us a taste of perhaps some of the big, big matches coming up? This yeah, I, we've got Liverpool Leeds, which is a big one from a fan perspective. We've got Valencia Barcelona, which has always been a tricky one. Uh, we have. Arsenal Nottingham Forest, which is only interesting if you're an Arsenal fan or a Nottingham Forest fan. We've got Union Berlin versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, we have, uh, let's see, what else do we have this upcoming weekend? We have third place Freiburg 
taking on Schalke. <laughs> and uh and yeah, I mean this is like it's it's a fine weekend. It's, it's a, a fine, fine weekend. weekend. It's a fine weekend. Um Leon Lille will be good in League Un and that sort of might be it. But the next week is the last European match week. And you know, we are shockingly close right now to the end of club football. Uh we are only three weeks Before away. The World Cup. Yeah. Which, sorry, yeah, not <laughs> is that it's a over. We're, we're wrapping it up. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you're like the man with the sign that says the apocalypse yeah, is yeah, nigh, the, end right? is, the end is the end is yeah. near. Um, but yeah, so we got to enjoy it while it's here because pretty soon we'll have to start talking about France again, and I hate that. So um, <laughs> we, may, we may as well call, we may as well call yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, also, we didn't mention speaking of France that Raphael Varane probably tore his ac he hurt his knee he hurt his knee i he's think it's actually doubtful. the latest is yeah I, I don't think it's an acl tear but i think it's he's gonna be out until at least the be, second match of yeah. the world cup yes so uh, anyways yeah that's unfortunate anyways our best go out to nick Evinden, who is currently breaking a leg in sense and sensibility down uh on the stage in tennessee so good for him that explains his absence and uh Hopefully he'll bring some sense and sensibility next week and tell us to shut up and stop talking about Paraguayan players next time. But yes. uh, until then, I have been Nathan Strauss. Kill Ritz. We'll see you all next time.